Welcome to the Blind Stigma Podcast with your hosts, Stacey Ann Buchanan and Dr. Natasha Williams. This podcast aims to provide a safe space that explores mental health within the Black community, breaks down the stigmas attached while taking back our narratives. So our next guest is Cleone Crawford. So Cleone Crawford is a woman on a mission, conqueror of challenges and a mental health advocate. She is a leader in her own right. She is a University of Toronto graduate who has become a young, passionate, and resilient entrepreneur on a mission to raise awareness about mental health by courageously telling her story. She has a book which is entitled The Music of My Life. Now, she mentions that due to unfortunate circumstances that would take the life of her sister and her sister's best friend, she struggles with bipolar disorder, and she's inspired to take a leap of faith and devote her life to mental health awareness. Her journey to recover has propelled her to further her studies at Centennial College in Toronto in the Addictions and Mental Health Program. I believe Cleone's um, episode is going to be amazing. All our guests are amazing. But she's going to touch on topics like manic, that I, yeah. manic depression that I don't know much about. Yes, it's, it's a very interesting disorder. I know that if we talk about it from um, the diagnostic manual, we talk about it as bipolar. Mm-hmm. Um, you have different types of bipolar. Um, bipolar one, bipolar two. I won't get into to huge details with those. Um, we also talk about it as as manic depression. That's another way that we look at it, and we also see it in different subcategories as hypomania, uh, cyclical um, manic depression. So basically, it's talking about higher highs and lower lows. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're on a high, for example, when you are manic you can go with days without sleeping. You have so much energy. That's interesting. You can start several projects, but unfortunately you don't finish them. Um, you may also engage in quite reckless behavior. So you'll mm. see an individual in a manic stage. They may spend money they don't have. So you'll notice that they'll go, they'll gamble a lot. They'll go into considerable amounts of debt. They will continue shopping, for example. They may also drive recklessly. They may also engage in unhealthy sexual practices so you'll have that person in that manic stage that will do all of those things and sometimes you also notice that individually their thoughts will race all the time like they'll just have fleeting thoughts and ideas and their speech will also be very pressured So that's sort of the manic stage of it. And depending, bipolar one and bipolar two depends on how the cycles are. So if you cycle then into the depressive stages mm-hmm. when, you know, you have your symptoms of depression, your low mood, withdrawing from, uh, from others socially, isolating yourself, um, sometimes sleeping too much or not really sleeping at all, uh, thoughts of suicide, uh, you know, these, these kinds of symptoms, you know, um, difficulty with memory and concentration. So a lot of those depressive symptoms 
then also come along and they cycle back and forth. And it doesn't necessarily have to be short periods of time. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes the time periods depend. Sometimes people are more in a manic phase and then they end up having a dip of depression and then they'll come back up and be manic again. Um, And then some people um, will will rapidly cycle, where they'll go in and out of that, you know, significantly. Um, So it really depends on the individual in terms of how they cycle through those, those different mood states. But I think Cleone's uh, story is going to be very interesting because she's also very telling about how her um, symptoms of bipolar manifest. um, And in particularly with her and sort of some of the activities and behaviors that she noticed with herself uh, when it came to to these these types of emotions. So self-awareness is key with Cleone. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And I think a lot of people in our community don't really know a lot about bipolar. Um, so I think her story is going to be very eye-opening for our listeners, especially for our listeners that don't really understand or really have heard a lot about somebody suffering with bipolar. Hello. Hi, Cleone. Hi. Hi, Cleone. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Dr. Williams? <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You got it. <laughs> okay. Just had to make sure. Yeah, you're good. You're good. <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. So great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem. No problem. I'm excited. Thank you. So we're going to go right into it, and we're going to ask you, um, we're just going to ask you to to start off by telling us your story. Okay. So... The first time I heard the term bipolar Mm. was in 2006, uh, which was 14 years ago. I was in my last year of university at the University of Toronto, and I came up with the idea to create a nonprofit to help young Black youth in the Rexdale community by connecting them with mentors. So I was so excited about this idea, and I started to spend all my time on it. However, things started to change. I was full of energy. I was obsessed on creating my new nonprofit. I was very talkative. I was traveling around the city a lot. I was very agitated. And I even thought I was a spy. (laughs) And I was uh, surviving off of like two hours of sleep a night. Um, Then one day, all of that high energy and that positivity, it just came crashing down. I didn't want to get out of bed. didn't want to comb my hair. didn't want to eat or brush my teeth. I just wanted to die, and death just was all over my mind for days. And this didn't make sense to me because I was a Christian, and of course, Christians don't go through this. So, however, eventually I decided to check myself into CAMH, and that's when I learned the term bipolar 2, which later became bipolar 1 in 2012. Mm. So... And sorry, just I'm, wanted to interrupt for two seconds, uh, just for for the listeners who may not be aware, CAMH is the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right, right, right. So after learning that I had um, bipolar disorder, um, I started to see the university psychiatrist for about six months, and I started to feel much better after the six months. And I, they, they didn't require me to take medication because it was just bipolar 2, it was just hypomania. Um, so with that said, 
Then one day while I was at church, I was so happy that I finally knew what was going on with me. So I told a church sister that I was happy that I knew why I was ill. I told the sister that I was bipolar and then she responded, no, sister, don't receive it. That is of the devil. So due to that ignorant statement, for the next six years, when I would be triggered, uh, like when my sister passed um, in 2007, um, I would just assume that I was under a spiritual attack. Mm-hmm. So, however, it wasn't until 2012 that my illness, it took a turn for the worse. After years of continued loss, like I started to become triggered. I lost my business as a fashion designer. My, my office space was gone. My job working for the government, I lost that. I lost my apartment and due to a flood. And I became very depressed and became angry. Okay. And I started to become delusional and manic. And that was the first time I've ever experienced mania versus hypomania. Mm-hmm. Um, Months later, I was hospitalized against my will, strapped down, and given needles despite my pleas. Oh, wow. um, this would not be the first time that I would be hospitalized. Since then, I've been hospitalized 26 times in oh. three provinces. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So because I believe that nothing was wrong with me, I would refuse to take medication. Okay. Uh, I was unstable and became homeless, and I stayed in a few shelters. Then in 2013, things became worse. I was about to travel to the States for a trip to meet a rapper, to discuss the show that I wanted to do. And while at the border, I had many bags with me, and I was denied entry because they thought I was trying to flee the country. Mm. So they told me that I had to go back to Toronto. I decided to stay in Niagara Falls instead for a few days. Little did I know, I was still manic. I had been manic for quite some time now, and I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went back to the border to try to cross again, and then I was denied again. And, and they put me into a holding cell. This time, I became irrational and started to rip pages in a magazine and throw them all around the holding cell and start to spit. So then seven U.S. border officers came, held me down, removed my shoes, put a mask on me, and did a cavity search on me and sent me back to the Canadian border with no shoes. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, I was traumatized. While at the border to calm down, I started to sing loudly because music is my therapy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I started to sing the national anthem to kind of calm down. And then I was told to be quiet. And I became irrational and sat on the desk in front of the, the officer. And then she told me that if I did that again, I'd be arrested. So I did it again. And I was arrested and sent to prison for assault. She accused me of spitting on her when I did it. And um, I was sent to um, women's prison to Vanier Prison for Women Mm -hmm. for 10 days. And upon my release, I went back home and still maintaining that nothing was wrong with me. I went to CAMH to obtain my medical records to prove to my mother that I was never given medication. So, and, but I was only given therapy. So long story short, um, while there, they suspected that I was manic and kept me against my will again. Mm. So I was strapped down again and given needles. 
I was in uh, CAMH for the Center for Addiction and Mental Health for 17 days, 14 days with no sunlight. And yeah, when I left CAMH and came down from my high, I fell into a deep depression. I was sick of my life and sick of all the things that I had lost. So I tried to commit suicide. I tried to hang myself a few times and would fantasize on overdosing on my pills, on uh, my medic, my epilepsy pills. Um, I tried, I tried um, j- jumping in front of traffic. Um, I even tried to jump in front of the train. I con- considered um, drowning myself and tried to jump off the bridge in Pickering at the 401 overpass. Mm-hmm. So things continued to get worse. And due to this feeling, I finally decided that there was a problem. Mm. And that is when uh, that I realized it wasn't just spiritual. Okay. So I went to see a psychiatrist and I finally started to take medication. Okay. Since okay. then, I've had tried five different medications and finally found something that works. And there's so much more to this story, but <laughs> I mentioned that all in my book. But, uh, but in a nutshell, <laughs> I've been hospitalized 26 times in three provinces, and I've been homeless and to prison twice. Right. So there was another time I went to prison, tried to commit suicide, and I even escaped from a mental hospital. Mm. So I've, I've lost friends, I've lost my reputation, and I've lost so much more, but thank God. I made it. That's it. That's That's it. it. It's amazing to hear that that journey. Um, I guess my next question would be, you have really, you know, you've chronicled your journey and what you had gone through, but you had mentioned sort of the last time where, you know, you were able to see a psychiatrist. I guess what I would like to just get to hear a little bit more about is how did you address your issue? So how were you able to get to the place where you felt comfortable enough to see a psychiatrist? After going through the depression, I just realized that that I needed to get some help. There was something going on with me that I I no longer wanted to be in the place of where I was. Okay. So I was prepared to get help because I was desperate for it because I, I, I just didn't like the feeling that I was feeling of being depressed. So I decided to, um, I knew, I decided to, you know, speak to my doctor about it, saying, telling them my feelings. And then I, I asked for a black psychiatrist because I really was done with um, um, white doctors. Right. And, um, so I asked for a black psychiatrist and I was referred to this psychiatrist and he was pretty good. And, um, he, you know, he talked to me and he didn't make me feel as though I was quote unquote crazy because mm-hmm. that's how I was, I was feeling. That's why I didn't want to get the help because right. I felt like people would think that I was crazy and that, you know, something was wrong with me, but this, this doctor made me feel comfortable to that when I was I was I was open to get the help that I wanted to get from him right yeah right and I think that's so important in regards to um you know 
being able to address mental health and mental illness, and particularly in our community. It's that mm-hmm. sense of feeling comfortable with the healthcare provider that uh, you are referred to so that you don't feel that you're being re-traumatized as you're trying to find help. Because mm-hmm. I've had some doctors who, unfortunately, um, they because, you know, first of all, I'm a black woman, right? Mm-hmm. And as a black woman, I'm also a very educated woman. And sometimes, sometimes when, when you, you go to get help, sometimes they look at you differently as a person of color mm-hmm. with a mental illness. Mm-hmm. And they treat you a bit differently. Sometimes they'll, so when you, you might be going, you might be a very high functioning person. Like I am a very high functioning person with bipolar. And some doctors have, when I tell, tell them about some of my business ideas and things that I was doing, they would, they would judge me very quickly. And they would um, always, they would just usually assume that I didn't know what I was talking about because I was a, and I assumed that it had to do with my color. Mm. You know what I mean? Because many times I, I would just feel as though they were thinking that, um, well, no, no, you must be ill. You you can't be an entrepreneur. You can't be doing all this stuff because you have bipolar. There's something wrong with you. But when I talk to other people, other doctors, they understand. Like, I find that, sorry, I hope I'm not rambling. No, 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 you're not. You're not at all. This is the space, right? Cloney, this is a space that we want you to share your story and to share what is happening to you and how you address your issue. This is a space that we've created just for this purpose. So okay, please thank you. Feel thank free you. To, please feel free to speak. Okay, thank you very much. But yeah, I just felt as though sometimes some doctors, they, they just treat you, um, they ha- have a view of what a black person is uh, with a mental illness and they kind of give them give them certain um, um, latitude or uh, um, I don't know the word. You'll have to come back to me. Maybe you can ask me another question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, that's no problem at all. And addressing your issue, Cleone, where do you mm-hmm. where where would you say you are right now on your mental health journey on your journey personally? Where are you right now? Right now, at this present time, I would actually um, gladly say that I am stable. Mm, Um, My mental health is in a really good place. Um, As of also, um, as of uh, 2019, September, I became a published author of my first book. Congratulations. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, It's called The Music of My Life. It's basically about my journey with mental health, with bipolar. And also, I'm a mother. Um, to a beautiful baby boy who's two years old. Oh, and, congratulations yeah. again! Yes, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, actually, that um, my son came, came as a result of my mania. Um, I met his father when I was actually manic, mm. uh, and I almost gave him up for. Uh, I almost had an abortion, and then I almost had gave him up for adoption because. I feared that as a woman with uh, bipolar and because my, my um, illness has been so up and down, I was thinking that I may not be able to be a good mother for him. Mm-hmm. But um, 
I've proved many people wrong that I actually am a good mother and I still have a, I still do have um, bipolar. That's right. Amen to that. And what else do I am? I'm also a student. I'm currently a student at um, Centennial College. I'm studying addictions and mental health. I'm trying to learn to take my, um, the, my lived experience to help me become more of an academic. Oh, so wow. I, wonderful. So that I can act, yeah, thank you. So that I can actually um, help other people um, with their illnesses by sharing my story, but also by being someone in the field who can actually um, help people on the, on the front lines. Mm-hmm. That's really incredible. Now, what, Thank you. What about um, also, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of wonderful things that are happening in your life. What about um, also just taking care of yourself, um, you know, self-care, um, you know, medication, psychotherapy? Could you speak just a little bit to sort of how you're taking care of yourself and managing uh, your bipolar at this time? Sure. Um, so basically, I'm currently on medication. I take... Um, I take um, two meds, um, Abilify and Latuda, okay. um, for to manage my my um, bipolar disorder. I work with an ACT team, which is um, asserted um, acute. What is it called? It's this, it's from CMHA, Canadian Mental Health Association. Mm-hmm. It's a team of like doctors, psychologists. I mean, psychiatrists. Um, occupational therapists, social workers, nurses. It's a team of them. And basically, I see them three times a week um, for about, you know, just to check in, just to, you know, so that I'm, a, I'm, I'm basically held accountable to someone else. Mm-hmm. So that they, so basically, they meet with me three times a week and we just chat about, you know, what what I'm doing, you know, you know, what I'm currently doing in my life. And they provide supports to me, whether it's providing my medication or they provide supports by, you know, providing like therapy, um, like talk therapy and stuff like that. And they provide a lot of different other types of supports. Um, also, I exercise. I, um, I work out every day, five days a week. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's ama- I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, and I actually um, chronicle my journey um, through video where I, I'm on this exercise um, journey where I'm trying to lose 100 pounds. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. That's a challenge. So, yeah, it's a challenge, but I've, so far I'm at 32. All right. Well, so, congratulations. congratulations. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Hey, for me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, losing losing one pound is difficult. Never mind. So it's amazing to hear that you're you're, that you're so far on your journey. But I guess you know continued success with that too. Yeah, definitely. So that's what I've been doing, just to kind of for my mental health. And uh, my biggest thing that I do to keep myself, um, you know, um, stable is my music. I I love to sing. Mm. I like to dance. and I just like listening to music like gospel rap and gospel, black gospel and some um, old school like Motown and different stuff. Mm. But yeah, I like, I love music. Music is my therapy. And it's funny that whenever I'm going through my highs and my lows, 
music would always be either fueling my mania or kind of calming it down. It's just, mm. it, it's, it's just, a, I have, it's a very interesting um, relationship that I have with music, especially when, when you're manic. <laughs> right. um, yeah. When I'm manic, I dance. Mm. dance everywhere (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 i dance everywhere i'll be dancing uh in uh you know like in like outside in what do you call it uh, intersections and bus stops and inside uh the ttc and yeah i dance (laughs) wherever it catches you wherever it catches me i just dance Cleania, I know we, we just talked about ways that you can help maintain your mental health, but I, I wanted to know, do you yes. have any trigger moments, like any signs that your body goes through or your mind goes through where you feel like you're going to have, the correct term is like an episode. episode. Do you, does your, does your body tell you a trigger moment hmm. or you have any triggers I, that you're like, okay, something is, something is about to happen. Well, I, I'm still trying to learn my triggers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still trying to learn them. But um, I find that if I'm not getting enough sleep, mm-hmm. um, that could be a trigger. If um, if I find myself coming up with 100 business ideas with no plans for how to execute them, that's definitely a trigger. Okay. Like that's, that's, that's a sign. Actually, this is a sign that something is off. Okay. Um, what else? Um, yeah, I think those are the two main things, the sleep and the, the flight of ideas. Sleep. And, um, but I also found that what triggered a lot is, um, was the death of my sister. Mm. Yes. Uh, when my sister passed in 2007, she died in a car accident. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, she was only 17. It was really tragic. Oh, wow. It was all over the news um, when she passed because it was involving the police. Oh. It was a car, yeah, it was a car crash. Um, they were, the police were speeding, and um, they were um, chasing a young man who stole his mother's car, and that car hit my sister's taxi, <gasps> and... Um, she and her and her best friend, um, Monique, who was in the car, they they both they died on uh, like Monique um, went out the window oh, and died on on impact. Mm-hmm. And my sister was declared brain dead two days later. So oh, it was goodness. very tragic. So every year mm-hmm. around her her death, because I was the one person that was in the hospital. Um, that stayed until the, they um, donated her organs. Mm-hmm. So wow. I found that every single time around her the anniversary mm-hmm. or around her birthday, mm-hmm. I'd find myself be becoming triggered. Right. Um, oh. Just the memory of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and somehow I don't know how it would trigger my mania, but somehow it would. Yeah. I'll be honest, it does make sense because a lot of times people don't understand the relationship between trauma or a traumatic event 
and the triggering of bipolar symptoms. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't have to be involved in the trauma, but because that trauma happened to your family um, mm-hmm. and there's been grief that has um, ensued as a result of that trauma, any reminders of it is going to bring up similar feelings uh, that you had even way back then, regardless of the time that's passed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's definitely, it definitely um, has affected me a lot. Right. Um, and just any time I experience any form of loss yes. um, or injustice, that, that's another trigger. Mm. <laughs> um, because I, the amount of loss, I've lost a lot, especially when I lost my job. I think that really triggered me. Because um, I worked for the uh, Ministry of Health in um, the Ontario Public Service years ago and um it was a good job and and i found that um uh, when i lost it i it was unjustly right. because i had a seizure on 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 the job and they didn't believe that i had epilepsy before i had the seizure mm-hmm. and um then they found a way to kind of get rid of me because they wanted to show that I was incompetent of doing my job, and which was so far from the truth. And I felt very injustice. So what's been happening is many times that I'm manic, I'd want to sue 100 people. Okay. <laughs> it's like, I want to sue everybody. It's just crazy. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, but um, I just, so it's just whenever I experience some form of loss, I, yeah. um yeah, I find myself triggered. That makes sense because, again, a lot of feelings that are similar, so, again, grief, loss, injustice, it doesn't necessarily matter what the situation is in particular, but if it has Mm. sort of similar connotations, then it's going to bring about similar kinds of of feelings and and reactions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Do you ever, when you've recovered from a manic episode that you've had, do you, do you recall what you did or what happened or how you, you acted? Is it something that um, you can remember? Sometimes. Sometimes I remember it. Sometimes I don't. But most of it, I remember I have a good memory. Mm-hmm. And that's what brings about um, the depression right. because uh, I start to regret. What you've done. I start to regret uh, what yes, I've gone through. Yes. Because I was such a question and it's oh another thing is um, when I'm going through my episodes, social media is a big thing for me. I would post a lot. Oh, I mean, yes. To a point that it would become obsessive. Mm. Sometimes in one day I could post two hundred posts. Uh, yeah, a lot. So, um, and I would post about just nonsense. And when I when I would go back and I would have to try to clean it all up, it would be like, um, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Where was I thinking? I mean, I mean, what was I thinking? You know, where you know where where was my mind? And and it, it just caused me to kind of become depressed and sad and um, yeah, just affects me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you ever go through one of your your episodes and you're posting on social media and someone will reach out to you in your inbox and to say hey what's happening to you like after everything is settled do you go like do people message you 
or do people reach some out to people. you to say, hey, what is going on? Yes, there are sometimes people who would message me and say, is everything okay? And um, because I'm not processing things, I'm, I'm very, um, like, kind of um, flighty. Mm-hmm. I would just basically say, yeah, everything's great. Everything's wonderful. And of course it's great. What do you think? Is, there's nothing wrong with me. There's, you know, I would I become defensive. Defensive because and protective, would, right? Do you feel like you're protecting yourself too? Why yeah, protecting my, my image and, you know, my pers- my reputation. And mm-hmm. I just feel like I, I have to defend. Um, because, you see, when you're manic, you, you don't know that you're manic. Mm-hmm. Ah, That's it. That's okay. it. You don't That's know. That's the problem. Right. Yeah. You don't know you're manic. It's only after you're mad, you come down from your high and you look back and you start to think some of the things that you've been doing and you're like, oh, my gosh. I was manic. I was clearly manic. Mm. Yeah. Look at look what you know. Look at the things that I've been posting. Look at the things that I was saying. Look at the places I was going. Look at how I was dressing. Look how I was acting. Right. You know, like thing. Just things were just out of character. You know, right. like. But you don't know it until you look back in hindsight. Right. This is actually very fascinating because. Um, what you're speaking to is how difficult it is to diagnose bipolar. Um, A lot of times uh, the research used to say, and I still think it's very relevant now, that it would take at least five years to actually get an accurate diagnosis of bipolar. And that's because um, when you're manic, you don't know you're manic. So what right. happens is is that you're not going to go see a psychiatrist or something to get an accurate diagnosis. A lot of times you will go see the psychiatrist when you're depressed, okay. when you're in more exactly. of your down phase. Okay. So which means as the, you're gathering information, usually it's misdiagnosed as depression and the medications that are prescribed are for depression. And it's only mm-hmm. after monitoring for a few years mm-hmm. or again, the hospitalizations where you can truly then figure out that it is it is bipolar. So it takes a significant, because there's such a high associated with, with bipolar when you're in a manic mm-hmm. phase. Okay. And if you don't think anything is wrong, you're not gonna go see anybody. For, for exactly. our listeners that are listening in, what is, how can we explain manic, like a manic episode? How can we explain it generally? Like, what is manic or a manic episode for both you and Dr. Natasha Williams, Cleone? Okay, for me, what I see is it's just an elevated high where yep. you're, um, you could be irrational, mm-hmm. you could have um, excessive, um, you could, you can be, things can be a bit more excessive. You can um, have a hypersexuality, like for me. Yeah. That's um, you could actually um, spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. You talk fast. Right. You're irritable. Mm-hmm. Um, what else happens? The sleep. Yeah, and the sleep. You um, reduce need for sleep. You don't sleep a lot. Yeah. You can just you can get a, you can get off with maybe two hours a night. And you're good. Yeah. Wow. And you feel some, like you have a lot of energy. Yeah. Like you're superwoman. Yeah. Some people don't sleep for a few days. So it could uh, last for mm-hmm. days. Yeah. This well, and a manic episode could last for months. Um, it can yes. last for wow. a significant amount of time. Wow. And um, you know, just to you know piggyback on what Cleone had said, a lot of it can be you know you really need limited sleep because you are so high and so energetic. You mm-hmm. believe that you have these, and then on top of that, with the lack of sleep or the minimal sleep, you have a flight of ideas. So you have ideas which are constantly running through your mind. 
and you have heightened energy. Um, yes. Some of the behaviors that she was talking about as well is, is that you engage in in behaviors that can be seen as either dangerous or or uh, threatening. So, for mm-hmm. example, when she mentioned about the hypersexuality, so sometimes you may engage in sexual behavior that might be risky. Uh, you may spend, so you know, a lot of times when people oh, are yeah. in a manic episode, mm-hmm. they may get themselves into significant amount of debt. Uh, you may have individuals that may drive erratically, wow. for example. So you see all of those types of behaviors as well. Um, mm-hmm. When she mentioned the flight of ideas, you may have several ideas for either businesses or whatever the case may be, but then there's difficulty in execution because there's just so many ideas oh, that are yeah. that are coming to play. But that high, it's not maybe just for days. It can go for months. Um, it can go for a significant amount of time until with the bipolar, it depends if it's bipolar one, bipolar two. The difference is, is the cycling. You know, do they go from, you know, manic to depressed and sort of how long and which cycle is the more predominant, um, predominant mm. one? Wow. Right. For me, bipolar one is what I have. Okay. Um, and um, I, my, I experience more mania than, than I do. Than depressed um, mood. Depression. Okay. okay. Yeah. Wow. I learned so much today. Mm-hmm. Um, Cloney, can you can you tell us and 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 tell the audience and everyone that's listening right now, what are ways that we can change the stigma of how mental health is perceived in the Black community? Well, the first thing we can do is we can um, change the stigma by simply sharing our stories. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, like what we're doing today. Absolutely. Um, the more we share, the more we make mental health common practice. Yes. Our stories um, have the power to change the narrative of um, people living with mental illnesses. And the more we share, the more we can actually see how our community views mental illnesses and mental health as a whole. Um, I just... Uh, yeah, I think it's just sharing. Um, yeah, sharing is what we need to do. When we share, we we normalize it. Yes, absolutely. I think that's one of the best ways that we can start to unravel uh, the the stigma of mental illness within our community. Yeah, because when we right. share it, we're taking away the shame. That's it. And the shame yeah. is like the big umbrella of stigma that's within our community. So sharing mm-hmm. and sharing in a positive way, too, because I, I think some people feel to have this negative connotation around mental illness all the time. Mm-hmm. And we don't we don't explore it in a more positive manner. You know, so right. you sharing that you're sharing your story right now is is wonderful and i guarantee you there's somebody out there that's listening a few people out there that's listening that's going to be listening right now that's going <laughs> to connect that's going to be connect with your story and some people may be like maybe i should go get my myself checked out she's experiencing the same things or she went through the same things that i'm going through and right. i don't have the courage to go seek help about it or to even seek what is if there's something that i should is there something wrong you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm 
trying to find the mm-hmm. correct yeah. word. Yeah, no, I, I've got you. And I think what's also very important is, is in the sharing, it's being able to share in a safe space. And I mean, yes. as as the Blind Stigma podcast, we are our aim and our goal is to create and curate that safe space to do so. So, you know, I think that's also an important piece of sharing, but it's also sharing in a space where w- where as we start to really defragment this uh, the stigma of mental illness that we're able to find and to create more safe spaces so our community can actually share. Mm-hmm. Wow. You, you know, at work the other day, I went to work and someone had made a, a poster around a water cooler because they know everyone will be going for water. And it says, it says, take one thing that you need for your mental health. And mm. there was just a list of words and they were cut out you know, when you snip it into lines and you could just pop one word off. And mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm gonna say that to you, Cleone. If there was a bunch of words, without me even giving a word, what one word would you take today and say associated? Not associated, but really say, I'm going to take this for my mental health. I'm going to take this to help for my mental health, improve my mental health. Hmm. Improve my mental health. Or to... What would you say, Dr. I, Natasha? Like, help with your mental health? Like, what to say? Oh, man. Well, I don't know. Oh. For me, I would just use, um, well, to describe my mental health. Not to really describe would, it. It's um, how I saw it was, it was, it was more like um, they had a bunch of words and it was just like, just take one word that you need today for your mental health. Kind of like help well, you with your me, mental health. So, like, if you say music, for instance, I'm not trying to dictate what you're supposed to say but <laughs> right for me i'd say i would actually just use the word resilience oh yes wow. yes okay. oh i love yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> i yeah, absolutely just, love it yeah because in the end of the day as, as long as if, if if this world's gonna knock me down i'm going to always get back up mm, mm-hmm. yes Cleona. and when i get back up i'm always gonna get up stronger and more and more aware on how to tackle life in mm. general. So resilience is my word. Oh okay. my goodness. Let me tell you that was a powerful word and I can guarantee you that there's are the listeners that we have on this podcast that is receiving that. So Cleone, thank you for that powerful word. You're welcome. You're welcome. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you thank for you. being at the forefront for changing the stigma on how mental health is perceived in the black community. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, we're going to sign off now. We're going to say, <laughs> hope you have an amazing evening. Okay. <laughs> amazing day. <laughs> and, right. and, and take care. Thanks again for um, coming on and being our, being our guest. And thank you for sharing your experience. We know that there are a lot of listeners out there that are going to take a lot of positivity from you know, what you have shared. And I'm, and I'm definitely sure that you have impacted somebody else's life with your story. So I thank you. We thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So we'll be signing off. Take care until our next episode. You 
you've reached the end of another episode of the Blind Stigma Podcast with your hosts, Stacey Ann Buchanan and Dr. Natasha Williams. Thank you for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener and you like the show, then please subscribe, rate, and review us on all the major podcast platforms. Don't forget to connect with us on social media at The Blind Stigma and join the conversation. Find out more about each guest and help us to change the stigma while taking back our narratives. This podcast is produced by What's Up Toronto and Stacey Ann Buchanan Productions.